I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Be Good and Rewatch It, a Waypoint podcast where we take a close look at movies and television and examine their themes, craft, and their relationship to our times. Uh, this week, we're escaping back to the utopian 1990s to look at Clueless, the 1995 <laughs> comedy directed by Amy Heckerling and starring Alicia Silverstone and Paul Rudd. As and Brittany dated- Murphy. Oh, and Brittany Murphy. And Brittany Murphy. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. Yes. Uh, has the movie's dated setting and idealized Beverly Hills filled with harmless archetypes of 90s youth culture caused the film's humor to age as well? Has Paul Rudd aged at all? <laughs> Does he seem older in this movie, actually? And what do we make of the movie's sexual politics from the vantage of the present? But first, I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and I'm joined for this trip down memory lane by Danielle Riendo. As if. And Natalie Watson. You're a virgin who can't drive. <laughs> Feel like that line as a lost poorly. a little something you're rendering. Oh, uh, really? Oh, oh, <laughs> wow. Thanks, I guess. Hi. And we have our producer Kato working the boards. Uh, so to start things off, Clueless is a surprisingly hard movie to summarize because a huge number of things occur throughout its story. And the film doesn't really assign any one plot line much more importance than the others. Uh, That's in large measure because Clueless itself is a loose adaptation of Jane Austen's Emma, which is as much about giving readers a whimsical slice of life within a particular society as it is about a romantic pairing. Uh, Clueless, however, moves the action from Regency England to 1990s Los Angeles and replaces the titular Emma with Alicia Silverstone's Cher Horowitz, who enjoys a position of stunning privilege at the top of her sheltered world's high school hierarchy. Rich, clever, and beautiful, we find Cher in the midst of a benevolent reign over her school, friends, and family, and starting to become more cognizant of the power and influence she can wield, both for her own benefit and for others, and that's where the trouble begins. Uh, the other thing that's striking in this movie, I'll, I'll say out of the gate, is this film is fascinated by its own setting and characters. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the movie I, I think this is most like is maybe the original Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie. Sure. Uh, which was also kind of obsessed with 1990s Valley Girl culture. Uh, the difference here, I think, is that Clueless isn't as condescending as Buffy was or maybe more accurately, Amy Heckerling's script and direction aren't as condescending to the affluent young straight women at its center as Buffy was, though I do think it can still be condescending in other places. Uh, anyway, yeah, uh, let's let's dive into this. What what's what's your relationship to Clueless, uh, Danielle? You and I are contemporaries on, yes. on this matter, uh, so I suspect you and I have a different relationship to this movie uh, than does young Miss Watson. Yes, 
It's true. Yes. Renatalie Zaxon, excuse me. Renatalie Zaxon has a very different relationship. Um, So I watched this not when it first came out, but I watched it within a couple of years, probably. I was a teenager. I was probably 15 or so. It came out when I was 11, I think. So it was already an old movie by the time I saw it. I was born. You were born the (laughs) year this came came out, out, huh? We're talking 1995 (laughs) here, I think. Yes. Okay. Correct. (laughs) Yes. Uh, And it came out during a slate of of movies that I ended up really loving. Uh, This and something like Empire Records and Hackers all to me are are sort of of a piece uh, celebrating youth culture in different ways, different aspects of sort of high school youth culture uh, that were all kind of interesting and different. Although this one, I would have to say, probably uh, the least celebrated and the least easy to kind of go back to out of those three movies. Uh, but yes, I did watch it uh, in the actual 90s, although not in 95, probably more like 99 or so. And I watched a lot of the Clueless TV show, uh, which came out a couple of years after the movie. And actually, a couple of the stars of the movie, I think Donald Faison was in it, Wallace Shawn was in it, like several of the like stars of the movie. Now, Alicia Silverstone was not. That was a whole thing at the time. It was like, why isn't she? She went on to do Batman and all sorts of other stuff. Uh, but it was it was a whole thing like, oh, the star of the movie didn't come on. But a lot of the other sort of supporting characters did who were stars in their own right. And I actually remember the show much better than I remembered the movie. I remembered a lot of sort of key scenes in the movie. Certainly, I remembered rolling with the homies. I remember the sort of general flow and structure mm-hmm. of the movie. But I remember a lot of gags much better from the show. And I think the show is actually a little funnier, if I kind of rem- recall correctly. But we'll get into the humor uh, as we go. But just know I have a long and storied history. <laughs> but I have not actually seen it since the 90s, which is a part of oh, how... Wow. Some of this did seem not not fresh. Like, it was one of those things with, again, Event Horizon. We, y- y'all weren't on the Event Horizon episode, but I hadn't seen Event Horizon since around the time it had come out mm-hmm. until, like, this year, you know, this week, a couple weeks ago. Uh, so it has been fascinating to see that other little slice of life uh, from how different I am 20 years later. <laughs> yeah, I guess my sort of history with the film, I didn't think I watched it until I was probably in high school. So like mid mid uh, uh, early 2010s, um, and I I always knew it was like kind of like a cult classic movie. Um, I I I always like had it in the highest regard for its fashion. Like its fashion and aesthetic was like the number one thing that uh, drew me, and I think a lot of my generation to that movie in the first and also like Cher Horowitz as a character (laughs) um you know uh it's always weird to see a movie uh uh shot in LA and like see what they choose to feature (laughs) like the West Side Pavilion as sort of like the mecca of of shopping is like a really interesting choice um um but yeah, and and just thinking about like, oh my god, how much LA has changed changed since then. Westside Pavilion is like no longer a thing as of a couple of years ago, I think, or recent, more recent than that. But anyway, uh, so yeah, it was really like the fashion itself, and that that uh was like the strong point of the movie, or was the focal point of the movie for me. And rewatching it, and and of course, there's like all of the like. Uh, iconic like one one liners and stuff but uh it's totally a Baldwin yeah yeah it's like <laughs> a lot of that stuff I don't think registered for me at at 15 or whatever but recent uh re-watching it last night um was like oh wow like interesting uh um 
but yeah, yeah. So I guess that's that's sort of my context for it. Yeah, uh, it's such a weird period piece. I think it becomes less of a period piece in some ways as it goes on. Like there are some things. The opening of this movie is the most Mackenzie and Company shit I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, what does like, that mean? <laughs> uh, so the people who made the Nancy Drew adventure games mm-hmm. before those games made a game called Mackenzie and Company, mm-hmm. which was like an FMV adventure of Clueless. That's basically okay. like, and uh, my cousin had it. Uh, and so we played it uh, on her dad's computer and it was wild because it was all about um, which hunk you would date at the end of the game. And they were mm-hmm. all these like wildly exaggerated stereotypes of different ver- like in the same game, you had like sensitive alternative rock boy versus like, I think literally a dude who was into rodeo, like yep. literally just a guy who kept taking his shirt off <laughs> and being like, yeah, I got to, you know, I'm Don just all into country music and <laughs> rodeo. Save a horse, ride a cowboy. True. The game was much less risque than that, though. That's okay. way too blue for yes. the. But anyway, uh, McKenzie and Company uh, sort of implied this. The uh, it was a very clueless sort of, of of world, but also its interface was like, what outfit are you going to wear? What are yeah. you going to bring? And mm-hmm. literally, this movie opens on how do we know that Cher Horowitz is like the it girl of her moment that she has it all? It's this fucking interface she's got before she can choose her dress for the day where she goes to her closet. And we only see this once in the movie. Like it's I think this only happens once. But she's got some kind of built in display with her digitized clothing collection and a like body scan of herself. And she like creates wardrobes basically doing like swaps of her outfit uh, on her body model. It is such a weird thing. Yeah. And it like. When she when she like uh puts the first outfit together, the the interface is or the software is like does not match like red alert red alert, and she's like oh yeah, and then like moves to to the other like iconic uh yellow plaid uh outfit, and it's like yes, this is the one, and it's so, it's so funny to me because like all of that fashion is like has had a huge resurgence in the past couple of years like i was watching this movie and i remember watching it in 2015 or not 2015 it when i was 15 which was not in 2015 <laughs> um but and it was like 2010 or something and i was like wow like these are like the girl styles i can like get behind a little bit more but the the like guy styles were like whoa i could not imagine that ever <laughs> and now i like think of <laughs> like Brooklyn, <laughs> like, and it's just—it's all there. It's all back. So it's—it's it's funny how how fashion never never truly dies, um, trends never truly die, but but yeah, it is it is like so cent like her her uh cementing of it girl status is so uh, focal uh, uh focused on her on her wardrobe and her presentation and you know the way that her and her best friend Dion like uh, like match each other and and they both are like you know Dion's a little bit more experimental and like she's she's like that's what I love about her she's like re- like ready to go out sort of on a limb with her fashion and and it's just it's what ties every like there's one of the the uh 
one of the sort of like fights she not fights, but one of the like disagreements she has with someone in in the in the film is like over a dress that she had already worn with with this girl Amber, and and so yeah, it's it's interesting how how big of a deal fashion is in sort of in this context. Um, the just the introduction of Dion, by the way, played by Stacy Dash, uh, yeah. who is. Sherry's best friend. This movie has so many great, like, throwaway lines. When Dion is introduced, uh, the voiceover from Sherry's, she's my friend because we both know what it is, what it is to have people be jealous of us. <laughs> and it's, there is something magnificent about the, I don't know, like, knowing pointed obliviousness of these characters. <laughs> like, I feel like when our, it is impossible to remember what the discourse was when Clueless came out. Mm -hmm. But I definitely had the sense from the marketing, like when I, when I saw like ads on TV for it, that it was a, one of those movies that was like going to be making fun of nineties Valley girl culture. Mm -hmm. Like that was kind of what it was leaning into. But I think this actually fits more into a like mold of, you know, I guess the screwball heroine where if you like, superficially a lot of these characters are ridiculous particularly our, our female leads particularly particularly share uh but at the same time if you follow along they're actually incredibly witty and sharp and they are sort of ahead of the play at yeah. most turns yeah. in the story yeah i mean when she says that you know her and dion's relationship like that that throwaway line that you know it's it's because they're, they both know what it feels like to have people be jealous of them like and then you see sort of like the lack of s substance behind like their actual relationship when when they have uh when when Brittany Murphy's character uh t uh Ty, Ty yeah I almost said Tia not Tia Ty um sort of like assumes the 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 position as it girl and and Dion's like all over her it's like yeah like there wasn't like a lot there like you you're I don't know like that it's like it's not I don't think it's not like an obliviousness. It's like it was like almost kind of like a recognition of that, but like a throwaway one that you could like kind of pass off as like a ditzy sort of oh whatever, like how conceited is that? But you know, when you kind of like really think about it in the context of their relationship throughout the film, it's like, yeah, there's kind of not a lot really bringing you both together. There's a massive amount of this movie that really reinforces how smart Cher is and how much she knows the score. Even though the whole movie is called Clueless and she realizes that she's clueless in certain ways, she absolutely knows that she is a gorgeous, skinny white girl who has a fuckload of money and she knows she can argue her way out of just about anything in the world. Mm -hmm. Does she find some obstacles in this movie that she can't argue her way out of? Sure. But in general, I've always read this movie as like, Cher knows exactly what she can get away with, and Cher's going to do great in life, whether she's happy or not. She's She knows how fucked up the world is on some level. Yeah, it's less the, like, gossip girl uh, uh, role of, like, I think of, like, Blair or Serena, who, like, mm -hmm. have all of this privilege and are also both skinny white girls and incredibly wealthy. And, like, to in, in that... In that in that show in Gospel Girl, it's like such an excess. It's like just 
just dripping with like extreme exaggeration and like this one almost feels more contained uh in in a sense that like all of like that privilege and that like you know that that ability to like her confidence and her ability to argue her way out of everything is like it feels more competent and like grounded in something than sort of like the characters of of Gossip Girl yeah. where it's just like teens just doing absolutely fucking the most <laughs> and well i think there's a really important through line there which is that we get Gossip Girl through Cruel Intentions. Yes. We get yes. Cruel Intentions through Clueless yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. But like Cruel Intentions is like the evil Clueless. Yeah, and totally. And to the point where like that movie has a lot of iconic scenes. That movie is fucking gross. Yeah, like, it's gross. They're, like the people, there are cases of like just what you'd call like outright abuse in that movie that are somehow just sort of passed over or skipped over. We don't really like... Content, like we don't really contemplate them. No, we we romanticize them, them, and that's what leads to to Blair and, Blair and, and Chuck. Face. God, and that's Chuck. and that's the that was like oh god. I mean, I can't believe we're going into this, but that was like the epitome of like the dream relationship for like middle school girls my age. Like when I was when I was in middle school, it was like a. Uh, uh, Blair and Chuck is like that like push and pull and like all of that like manipulation and conniving and all of that. It was like so and you think about like Twilight, you think about like Edward and Bella, like that mm. like yeah. it the cruel intention set up so much of that. And and you look at like there's no one like in in Clueless, there's no one sort of male character that's like singled out from the start. Like Josh eventually becomes which oh, we'll, get to, we'll, we'll get, get to, to we'll get to that. <laughs> Josh eventually becomes Cher's like main love interest, but he's not like focalized throughout the whole film and like painted. There's like a scene in which she's like walking and like thinking of like sort of like reflecting on past times with him and sort of comes to the realization that she loves him or whatever. And that's when you get like the exact, but it's so like tongue in cheek. Like the fact that the fountain, she's like happens to be standing in front of the Beverly Hills fountain and the fountain lights up or whatever. Or I think it's about it might be the fountain in her front yard, but anyway, <laughs> um, it like lights up and it's like fireworks, whatever. It's like that's it's so obvious and it's so like obviously playing with that sort of idea. And then it's like cruel intentions and in subsequent films like took that model and we're like okay what if we just like took that seriously and presented that as like the ideal package um and 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 that's what's so so strange about clueless because that that is not tracked throughout the film like you're not constantly thinking about oh who's Cher gonna end up with she's like I don't really care to end up with anyone <laughs> throughout like she's focused on all the, these other relationships which I think you know comes from the source material yeah, it makes it such a fascinating romantic comedy because so many romantic comedies make the question of who you are going to end up with, who you're going to fall in love that, that is the most important question that there can be. And it is the question that defines you as a person, right? Mm -hmm. Like that is, who who are you? It's, it's, it's who do you want to be with in most romantic comedies? Clueless very much is, is, is pointedly not that. And you're right, that, that does stem from uh, what, what Emma tends to, tends to really be about. But where this movie leads off, and perhaps the truest through line in this movie as far as what Cher's motivations are, 
is this idea that she likes to arrange the world as she finds both proper and also convenient for herself. Sure. And this movie opens, um, much like Emma does, on a successful pairing. Mm-hmm. Except in this case, where in Emma, it's uh, getting two of her friends together uh, into a into a happy marriage that sort of kicks off the action. Here, Cher, despite her obvious intelligence, does not give a shit about school, and she's in that a magic in a magical Hollywood movie high school where you can absolutely not do any work or even attend class, and you'll still be fine. Uh, she is. Also in that reality, but even in that sort of reality, she is still a bad student. Yeah. And she is starting to get bad grades. And she reaches the conclusion that while she's able to argue her way out of every other bad grade she's gotten, uh, the way she has to fix these two teachers who are just not budging is she has to get them together. And they are played by uh, the Wallace Shawn character, who is her uh, wonderful debate instructor, uh, <laughs> as he tries to get the the kids of this high school to think seriously and debate just literally any issue at all. Uh, and Miss Geist, uh, who, what does she teach? Is she math? I think she's like social science, maybe. Yeah. Uh, because her all whole, she does is run fundraisers. Yeah, her yes. whole thing is about like she's talking about like like ecology, and there's like clips of her like showing like national disaster. the The whole thing centers around ends up uh coming to like a Pismo Beach sort of like yeah. uh fundraiser. Um, so I think I think she's social science. That's probably yeah. the thing social, that makes yeah. sense. Social studies. Oh, social studies. That's yeah. what I meant. That's right. what no, I meant. no. I'm not laughing at you. I'm <laughs> saying like in in this presentation, it's so ridiculous. Of like, this is social studies. Watch the news and do something about it. I mean, it's kind of lovely in a way how idealized in '90s that is, right? But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so like her whole plan here is to get these two. Uh, these two nerds basically uh, on her high school teaching staff to pair off. And if they are happy, they will be more amenable to maybe working with uh, They won't be so miserable and take out their romantic frustrations on the grades of their students. (laughs) Yeah. And what's so funny here is like, it is a ridiculous, it's a ridiculous contrivance and their solution, uh, watching Dion and Cher go to work on those two. <laughs> it is a ridiculous sequence as they sort of spin these two characters toward each other and, and hope mm-hmm. that, uh, romance happens. But then they're just, there is something undeniably sweet about the result. There's this moment where they manage to get arrange these two to have a date underneath this, on a yes. park bench underneath yeah. a tree. <laughs> And it is a weirdly beautiful, it's weirdly beautiful. It is. is. It's so sweet. It's like, uh, it's, it's, it's really, uh, when you think about like, you know, I don't know, the way that they paint like the two characters that are like the two, like these two characters that just like don't have time for themselves, that like they just like dedicate all of their time to, you know, Miss Geis is like constantly like. Uh, you know, berating people, not berating, but just like constantly, you know, approaching people for help with with like different fundraisers and things like that. And and uh, what's his name? I forget his name. Uh, Mr. Hall. Mr. Hall. Yeah. <laughs> I this 
actor, my only other connection to him is from the Eddie Murphy Haunted Mansion movie. Oh, no. <laughs> Wait, Princess Bride doesn't. Oh, right. Princess Bride. <laughs> my Dinner with Andre? I... No, not that one. I... I'm so delighted. I'm so delighted I forgot that that one was your. But Haunted Mansion is the first one that comes up every time. <laughs> the terrible movie. Oh, it's it's the Haunted Mansion guy. <laughs> I've seen him in something. What is it? Haunted Mansion. It's Rex from uh, Toy Story. It's Rex yeah, from Toy Story. That's what Kato Aww. says. Exactly. Um, but anyway, anyway. So it's like, it's nice to see sort of like something actually... I was waiting for the moment where they were like going to break up and it was like going to all fall apart. And it was nice to just like see them like be happy together. And like, although it is for like selfish gain and it's like you, you see Cher being like celebrated by the entire school, like the entire school is like clapping for her as if the entire school knew that she was like in on this, on this plan to, to get these two teachers together to fix everyone's grades. It's just like, it's, it is like, completely outrageous and ridiculous but that moment of just like silence and it's not it, it's just like them together and there's no one like at that moment when they finally get together there's no like intervening like they're not like telling each other what to she's not like in his ear telling him what to say or anything like that it's like a genuine just like missed connection <laughs> Is like kind yeah. of sweet. And when they kiss by the doors and she can't open the car doors and she can't oh, open yeah. her car. That's one of the actual funniest gags. It's pretty in funny, this yeah. entire movie. Is Miss Geist? They go. They have a little kiss. The two in our happy couple. And she can't open her car door because she has such a shitty clunker. <laughs> and she has to like hip check it three times before the door will open. It's just that's. That's one of those things that's like, this is not a subtle movie. This is not a movie of subtleties. But that little moment right there really yeah. was, I, I think, one of the funniest parts of the whole thing. Totally. And and I think that whole subplot is kind of like, we don't know it yet, but this is probably like, the sh- like share as she is known before she undergoes her transformation. This is probably her at her peak, right? She's being selfish as hell, mm-hmm. manipulative as hell, and it all works out brilliantly. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. for her and for others. And she's like riding that high and then a new student arrives who is clearly from both a different like socioeconomic background uh, and also just different part of the country. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's Brittany Murphy's tie. And she is from, is she from like, is she from Brooklyn? Is she from New York? Brooklyn or Jersey? from like, might be a Jersey girl. One of those. But she's clear. So she's clearly speaking with like a, a, a New York, a greater New York region accent. Yeah, totally. Um, she is not fashionable the way Dion and she's a different sort of 90s fashionable. I love uh, she's a grunge personally. girl. It's, she's grunge. Yeah. Mm, it's like my ideal style now. Cher is like the idealized in another world AU version of me and her <laughs> style, not her persona. Um, although I could use with some of that confidence, but, uh, uh, Ty's style is like what I try to do every morning, (laughs) like right now it's, it's, I love it. It's really good in my opinion. Ty plays a lot of Fortnite is like what we know about (laughs) Ty. Ty plays a lot of Goldeneye. Oh, not even yet. She plays a lot of Mario Kart. Yeah. Well, what we do know about what she does is that she smokes weed. She and this does. is where this is where the movie begins to get a little interesting. Like, in some ways, the movie is very charming 
but in other ways, there's there's also a reminder of like how prurient the 90s, how, you know, how prudish the 90s could be. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Ty arrives and she's clearly into, she likes to, she likes to smoke up. That's it. Yeah. And the minute that's made clear, uh, like Dion and Cher are like, whoa, <laughs> hold the fuck on. Like, yeah. we do not smoke weed. That they, is not what people. Not during our, the day is the, is the distinction. Yes. It's Only like at, a party. at parties, you know, it's not a big deal, but like during the day at school or like constantly is is a whole nother thing which just sharon jeez you gotta go to the hill for that yeah you go to you go to the stoner hill (laughs) (laughs) yeah and so ty immediately and this is this is what's hilarious is that uh so ty is oh god which character in emma is she harriet yeah is it harriet i think so yeah so in the world of emma harriet is sort of uh you know Lower gentry, we'll say. Uh, you know, it's you know basically like uh, just just a farm girl in, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And the guy she meets is also just like a tenant farmer on on one of the aristocrats' land. In the world of Clueless, they become stoners. <laughs> They're both like, stoners. Like, Travis Birkenstock. Of- can we just say his name, or is it Trent yes. Birkenstock? It tra- it's Travis. either Travis, Travis or Travis. I think it's yeah, Travis, Travis Birkenstock. Which Great. is you know, yeah, two stoners just trying to. Fall in love, you know? The simple people. Yeah. And, the simple and folks. Tragically, they are separated <laughs> by yeah, Cher. B- by Cher, who's like, you don't don't be a stoner and don't hang out with stoners. Mm-hmm. Uh they're they're losers. And now admittedly, the nineties were, man, I rem- like there were a lot of there were there were indeed always those kids at high school who were like just baked throughout every day. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of amazing watching them like try to negotiate high school while being completely like high out of their minds. <laughs> uh, and so I do get like, you know, all things in moderation, I guess, but Travis is so clearly like just a sweethearted, yes. you know, he's yeah. just, he's, he is just a skater boy in that Avril Lavigne tradition. Yes. Um, oh, dangerous. <laughs> so and dangerous. Cher and Dion are, are not having it. And as part of their sort of reclamation project on Ty, uh, they sort of cut that relationship off and begin trying to remake Ty to be one of them. And it's yeah. it's sort of Cher's great act of charity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the conclusion Cher reaches, having just paired off Hall and Geist, is that uh, her friend Elton is the Ugh. ideal match for, uh, for Ty – Elton, who has been been giving off creeper vibes throughout this whole movie, but also introduces himself with the amazing line, I left my cranberry CD out on the common. I need to go before somebody snags it. Elton is like constantly, that's such a great line, yes. but Elton is like, it is so wild. I mean, maybe it's, it's being a, a girl in high school who just constantly you know, is on the receiving end of male attention. But Elton is so obviously, like, physically all over Cher throughout, like, before even even uh, uh, Ty gets there. And, yeah, yeah, before we know who he is, before he has a name. Like, he's, like, like every time he gets a good grade, he's, like, reaching over to Cher and, like, giving her a kiss on the cheek and stuff like that. And Cher's, like, 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 
it it seems like platonic to her where she's just like, oh, everyone's like happy that I'm doing this thing. Like I'm being praised from from all sides. But like on a, a rewatch and, you know, watching um, as like as the viewer, it's like, yo, Elton's like really trying to get it. And yeah. share like that's where the obliviousness I think of share lies is in like, you know, in in not like anything within her own agency. It's like not her like demanding this. It's just like it's like not sort of. It's just like wanting to see things that she wants to see so desperately um, and that in in this in this situation, that being you know Ty and, and Elton getting together, that she just kind of ignores everything else, um, which is unfortunate because um, Elton is the fucking worst. I think this is the way in which she's the most clueless. Like yeah. she is so good at operating in her world, and she is so good at operating in the sort of wider world of of L.A., of Beverly Hills, of whatever it is. Like she knows exactly how to get what she wants in in most ways. She is truly clueless about sex. She is sort of the virgin of the group. She is sort of uh, oblivious to male attention. She is oblivious to a character who's gay later on. Like she is truly naive about sex, which is a weird and interesting thing. And I'm not as familiar with Emma. I'm not as familiar with the source material, but it is a very sort of Hollywood thing, right? The the maiden, the the sort of virginal, naive woman who is so likable and so good. I mean, I feel like there are some like slight tropes here towards that of like, mm-hmm. oh, she's the good girl. You know, we do like her. She is a very likable character, but she's also very like the sweet, pure virgin who is very likable and very, you know, there's there's a whiff of this in of the like classical Hollywood sort of trope about her in this way, but I might be reading a little too much into. No, it there I think that's. Too. I mean, I haven't I haven't read Emma, but from my understanding of it, it's like a self decided sort of thing in which like Emma's like that's just not for me. Like getting married is just not something I'm looking for, and like not something I'm focusing on, and like it's re sort of positioned in Clueless as as being sort of like Cher waiting for the special someone. Um, and that's why she hasn't like gone after anyone or like hasn't like tried to find a boyfriend or anything. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that it's when Dion and her boyfriend decide to cross into like... <laughs> <laughs> into you know new uh, planes new planes into th- throughout the movie it becomes clear that like Dion and her boyfriend haven't yet had like whatever their version of like losing their virginity is which <laughs> in in my opinion is virginity is a bullshit construct and and so is so is uh you know what what uh everything around it so anyway um but but uh so so they make it very clear that they haven't like sort of crossed into what they would consider to be like losing their virginities and then uh uh there's a point at which Dion <laughs> this scene is um is something else <laughs> Dion accidentally drives onto the freeway shares in the back seat it's a uh, scene. talking it's the funniest scene shares in the movie. back seat realizes that uh the boy that she was pining after um is uh, actually gay um, uh, Dion a- accidentally drives into <laughs> the freeway and 
if you haven't driven on the Los Angeles freeway, it is a terrifying place. That experience is very real. And and she's like, everyone's screaming. And it's like... The, it's shot like a horror film. It is. Like, yes. like the close, like the camera is pretty much rock solid in every scene. It's like planted on a tripod. The, the shot is framed and composed. For this scene, it's a close up of like, it's like some- Cher's face. And everyone is screaming and it's shaking and like... <laughs> This cavalcade of improbable vehicles are just like <laughs> rolling up on their little jeep. So uh, it is. It it's is so wild. Much. And then and then Dion like pulls off the freeway, and her and her boyfriend start making out, and and Cher's narrator voice comes on, and is like, and then they, you know, any last semblance of virginity that they had before was no more or something. <laughs> and she says like, and after that, and that's what made me realize like I want a boyfriend, like I want someone to. Love. Um, it's less positioned around sex itself and more around like companionship and love, um, which is 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 interesting. Um, but yeah, and so and that's like the last you know sort of point of, and I think it's after that that she has her like long walk home. Oh no, 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 no that's later. No, there's a few things after. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um. So yeah. So so you know. Cher's relationship to sex is like is throughout the film is like all about sort of wanting this like love experience like this this great great grand thing and um and <laughs> I well, hate it's, I hate no but but it's weird because I think it's the movie I think tends to to put that t- tends to center that a little bit because of the way like Dion makes a point of declaring herself like a technical virgin. <laughs> the fact that Ty is not a virgin is like eyebrow raising to Dion and mm-hmm. uh, Cher. But I think one of the arcs of this movie is that Cher is, I think one of the, one of the arcs of this movie is that Cher at, at a certain point realizes she would like to have someone in her life. It's not that she's lonely, but that her life could have more in it, I mm-hmm. suppose is, is one of the arcs here. And throughout a lot of that movie, she's been perfectly happy sort of being on her own and sort of moving her friends around like pieces on a game board <laughs> a, a little bit. Uh, but like in Emma, like one of the one of the things that's happening throughout this is like life is changing. Relationships are changing. You are no longer like like she is no longer going to be the most important person in Dion's social circle. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that that phase of their friendship is starting to end here. Um, and I think that's one of the one of the things that's happening in the story a little bit uh, and, and sort of sets up the, the res the resolution. Um, but first we, we, we have to get to the sort of heel turn of, of Elton and our first introduction, our first real introduction to the character of Josh uh, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and establishing that he is in fact a capital G uh, good guy mm-hmm. uh, in the, in the world of Clueless, and this being a '90s romantic comedy, there's no better way to establish somebody as a good guy than to juxtapose him with a complete piece of shit. Uh, so we'll get to that uh, in just a moment after the break. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. All right, so everything sort of the the Ty Elton misfired experiment kind of comes to a head at this at this party uh where Ty ends up getting concussed somehow. Um <laughs> so- Something is thrown. Did somebody throw a beer can, beer at her head, or is she, or or does it's, Travis jump? Is it Travis doing that fucking? Frog? No, because no. After, after that, she thinks like, that's that the coolest. Cool. Right, and she's like, "I wish I could do that." And Travis is like, "If well, girls can't do it because if girls did it, then what would guys do to impress them?" And she's like, "I don't know, like stuff." And it's just <laughs> it's a great line. Mwah, it's a good I line. Good line. <laughs> but yeah, so she ends up being concussed. <laughs> And Elton, uh, you know, sort of rides to the rescue by uh, basically, I guess, giving her an ice pack or something like taking a or actually not even that. It's it's rid of all the ice and gives her a damp towel and puts it on her head, uh, which which isn't going to work. But anyway, doesn't help. (laughs) And Cher is like nailed it. I have I have put these two together. Uh, Rolling with the homies begins to play. Rolling with the homies. He asks Ty if she's okay, if she can dance to the song. They go dancing off. Cher thinks, all right, job done. But when it's time to go home from this party, uh, Elton has no interest in Ty and instead insists uh, to an increasingly like creepy degree that Cher ride home with him uh, mm-hmm. in his car. And... The band's got the cranberries playing yep. on the stereo he sure uh, does. throughout that scene. I didn't notice that. Uh, he sure does. Really good. The whole soundtrack. The, use of, the whole thing. It's such a good soundtrack. Yes. And the soundtrack is like so much about characterization. Yes. Like the soundtrack of Josh, by the way, is Radiohead. Yep. Every yeah. time. Uh, yeah. Jeez. What did she call uh, it? But, Com- complaint rock. Complaint yes. rock. <laughs> And uh, and Elton's music is uh, the Cranberries. And on this ride home, he basically he, he makes his move on Cher, uh, ignores the fact she's clearly not into it, and then pulls over in a parking lot and turns into a complete fucking asshole. Yep. Uh, and they argue. She gets out of the car. He makes advances towards her, which she like physical advances yeah uh which she which she uh aggressively rejects rightfully yeah. so yes yep he presses them like it's not a scary scene but he's definitely like pressing things to the point where it is no longer it's remotely comfortable yeah it's yeah. gross he read a pua handbook kind of thing it's one of those it's very yeah but like by it's... the books like toxic masculinity keep pressing that kind of thing yeah, it's it's upsetting. I would call it upsetting. Yeah. Maybe not scary, but upsetting. Right. So she bounces, and he abandons her somewhere in the valley, and then she's immediately held up gunpoint outside this liquor store, uh, and is completely unfazed uh, by this guy holding a gun on her, and begins to argue. When when the when the robber tells her to uh, lie down and count to a hundred, she begins to argue with him about how much her dress costs. <laughs> And uh, how doing that would ruin it. 
Uh, but the the guy runs off and takes her phone, and so she has no one she can call except her former stepbrother, ex stepbrother. Yes. Yes. Uh, Josh, Paul Rudd, Ugh. the one and only. <laughs> We've met him before, but this is the sort. This is sort of a, a a major scene between those two, and one of the one of the first scenes where like he's being there for her. Mm-hmm. Um. But well, when after, we, when if, we sort of, if I may, if I may interject, yeah. we're introduced to this man as he's like trying to touch her breasts and say she's filled out a little bit. I have, I just, I couldn't not notice that when their very first scene together, he's in the house. She's annoyed that he's there, and he's like, "You're filling out a little bit," and he's like gesturing towards her, mm. her. Yes. Anyway, I'm Gross. sorry that that turned no, me I off, mean, Josh, right from the beginning. So. Yeah, that's. Yeah. But yeah. I'm sorry. I, I, well, I don't think I don't think that's what he does. Um, because they're at the they're at the kitchen island, right? Is he saying and she's fat? Is that what this I think that's the is? tease. I think like, okay. I think he he pinches like her hip or something. Okay. And uh, yeah, whether so, or not, n- like yeah, there's still a hate lot him. of negging. Yeah, yeah, this. still hate him. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, it um, should also be he's a college student uh, yep. at UCLA. Um, and a college sophomore, I think it's established. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think he's either a freshman or sophomore. Yeah, um, and and uh, Cher is like I think fifteen or sixteen. In... Fifteen, about to be sixteen in April. Right, right. That makes her older than Ty, and therefore wiser. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, sorry. Continue, Rob. <laughs> yeah, and so when we so she calls Josh, and Josh is, uh, <laughs> like putting the moves on his art school girlfriend. I like oh very stereotypical, like. <laughs> yep. Uh, art school girlfriend, and they come to pick up. Uh, in a moment, I just fucking adore. He asks Cher, "Where are you?" She says, "Uh, Sun Valley," and he's like, "Okay," and hangs up the phone, and apparently knows immediately where she is at based on that. Like she's just like, "Yo, I'm in Sun Valley," and you know the he's spot. Like, I'm on the way. Meanwhile, we just had a scene earlier where people are scrolling through a road atlas trying to find a party in the valley. Yeah. Uh, because this is a world before GPS. And so, you like, every Los Angelino needs a fucking, like, road Bible to mm-hmm. navigate their city. Mm-hmm. Uh, yet, Sun Valley, Paul Rudd's just like there. <laughs> uh, which is perhaps the strongest sign that they are indeed uh, connected on some primal level. <laughs> Uh, because Truly. he just hones right in on this fucking roadside <laughs> liquor store, liquor store gas station. God, which God, it's worst where worst place to to wait. Honestly, like Sun Sun Valley's far. Like that's like I I was thinking about. It, I was like, Sheriff must have had to wait there for like forty five minutes from UCLA, maybe like thirty with no traffic. But that fucking that would fucking suck. But you know, anyway. Yeah. So Josh shows up. Uh, I don't know. Girl in um, tow. Yep. He's girl got in his tow. Girl. <laughs> There's a great exchange in the car ride home. Oh my god! Natalie, want to lay it out? Yeah, there's a great exchange in which uh, 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 the uh, Josh's girl is they're arguing about sort of the way that uh, you know 
their professor per, perhaps or like maybe university conventions are like stunting their intellectual growth and that, you know, their mind should be um, allowed to roam free. And she quotes um, mistakenly who she thinks is Hamlet. And she says, uh, you know, to thine, what is it? To thine own self be true. Um or something like that. And then Cher from the back seat is like, um, I don't think that was Hamlet. And she's like, uh, I think I would know Hamlet. And Cher is like, uh, well, I think I know Mel Gibson. And he didn't say that. The Plutonius guy did. And Josh is like, this is like a moment where you see Josh kind of like, ooh, like, hmm, Cher's really got a, got her Hamlet down or something. I don't know. But that exchange is, is extremely good, in my opinion, between those two girls. It's very funny. Um, like, she's not she's not completely incompetent, I guess, is, like, the, the sort of thing is that's being put out here, is that, like, she, she can, she does hold her own. Like, when she is, like, she has, like, conviction or whatever, which... You know, she's actually very yeah. smart. She's actually a very intelligent person. Yeah. 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 And uh, I don't know. It's so it's the first moment that like Josh really comes onto our radar as someone really important in her life. Uh, nevertheless, it's following that very 90s romantic comedy of the way a guy is expressing any sort of interest or like charm toward a girl is by being an asshole to her. Mm hmm. Uh, in, in the guise of teasing, and that's defines a lot of their relationship. That being said, they do have a nice rapport. Like, clearly they enjoy getting under each other's skin. Uh, she likes how much she annoys him. Uh, but there's a dynamic... There's... The dimensions of their relationship are not well-defined, and that's going to create problems for the denouement. Mm-hmm. Um, nevertheless, before we really get to that pivot... Uh, Cher does reach the conclusion she needs a she needs a boyfriend. Mm-hmm. She wants someone in her life, but it's got to be the ideal her idealized vision of what she would want in a partner. Mm-hmm. And in walks Christian. Uh, in Emma, he's Frank Churchill, uh, but here he's Christian, and he is every inch the man that Cher has dreamed of. Fashionable, uh, you know, charming. Suave. Yeah, Witty. and so she's like, "This is my guy." And so now we come to the movie's stance, uh, the, the movie's attitude toward gay politics of the, of the 90s and uh, queerness. Um, We've had a touch of it previous to this. Yes. But only a touch. Only the One tiniest little touch. Sure. Uh, this movie is very interesting on uh, sort of queer themes, playing mostly in stereotypes. Certainly the gym teacher is sort of uh, played for laughs as, uh, you know, oh, she's only interested in, the, she's oriented towards the same sex or however mm-hmm. Cher puts it in the voiceover. And she's definitely played as like a hilarious butch woman. How funny is that, basically? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Christian is certainly played, anybody paying attention would see that he is certainly being played as a gay stereotype. He's very sort of flashy with the way he dresses. He's very into a lot of sort of classical, like he's into Tony Curtis. He's into a lot of things. He likes art. He likes art Sporadicus. quite a bit. He likes to dance with men. He dances with men at the party that they go to. Uh, he talks to a bartender in a way that is much flirtier than the way he sort of rebuffs a woman at the bar when he's sort of buying a beer at this party and uh, only talks to the bar- the male bartender. And th- there's so many ways. Everybody, you get the sense that almost everybody except for Dion and Cher 
know that he's gay. Yeah. Uh, but it is, I wouldn't call it a completely negative, I, it is very stereotypical and it is sort of played for laughs in a lot of ways. But I will say uh, it's not all bad, especially for something like 1995 when uh, queer visibility in media was truly fucking dismal. I mean, it's mostly uh, mostly barrier gays and mostly dead lesbians and mostly uh, crazy lesbians in, in film at this point. It, at the very least, Christian is portrayed as a decent human being who is a good friend and remains a good friend uh, to share. And also, when uh, we we all find out that he's gay, like, completely through Murray, uh, Dion's boyfriend, he's not saying, like, ugh, gross. He's more like, you're, you're a little stupid for not seeing this, uh, which was not a completely negative way for that to have occurred, especially given some of the other sort of politics of the movie, I think. Mm-hmm. And they maintain a friendship. Yeah, like, they, it, it he's in her life. Like, yeah. he's a good friend. Yeah. I mean, they do go shop. I mean, it is, again, this is yeah. all stereotypes. This is not, like, great queer well, representation. Well, Will and Grace hasn't even happened yet. And, no, like, I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, for the time, this is much better than what, you know, what you might expect to happen to the gay friend. Like, he, he's not played yeah. as hilarious for laughs. Like, he's a he's a gay stereotype, but he's not, like... You know, he's not completely a joke. He's, he's not, not treated machine, like a joke. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and I think he's allowed. So ultimately, the portrayal of him is uh, pretty sympathetic. He is he is sort of like brought into the the circle or ever expanding circle of friends uh, in in this in this film. At the same time, he is allowed to be a little bit of an asshole too, uh, which, which I do like. Like he is also very vain and very sure. affected in the way of a teenage boy who, like, he's got this whole um. God, he just he's rocking this whole throwback style to like the fifties. Like very very James Dean. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, and again, her fucking dad, uh, who uh, is played by uh, Dan Hedaya. <sighs> Uh, Mel Horowitz, who is just this ass-kicking uh, attorney, uh, basically, uh, when he meets Christian, when when they when they meet to go out on their first date, he he looks Christian up and down and is like, "What's with you, kid? You think the death of Sammy Davis left an opening in the Rat Pack? <laughs> like it's just such a devastating line." And he doesn't give a fuck. Like the, he's not affected. Like uh, uh, Christian's not affected at all. He's like, "I can dig it." Yeah, he's like. <laughs> He doesn't care. He's just like him completely himself. Yeah. Which is kind of nice. Yeah. yeah. Uh yeah, and just is 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 very yeah, is, is is very into what into himself, into into his whole uh sort of affect. Uh and it does sort of seem like he thought from because the way Cher gets with him She's going through her standard operating procedure of catching a guy's interest, which is to bombard herself with gifts she sent herself. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and I suspect that, like, this is why Christian thinks he's on safe ground with her to an extent, right? Because, like, she's been pretending that there's somebody else. And so it's not until she really begins throwing herself at him that he realized, like, oh, shit. Maybe she doesn't know. Yeah. Yeah. And he basically has to run out of her bedroom yeah. and gives her sort of the goodnight kiss and is like, you're sweet. It's like, we're, we're friends. friends. We're friends, yeah. right? We're friends. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's, it's a good, it, it's, it's a good subplot. Uh, it's, it's cute. Uh, it also sets up another complication, which is that when he takes her to this party, 
where the mighty boss tones are playing oh, on stage. Oh my god, it's true. Oh my god, yo, the fact. <laughs> Sure. The fact that like this like m- mediocre ska band that's like not even like fully sp- whoa, them's fighting words over there. There's better ska out there. I'm sorry, but was there much better ska <laughs> in out there? Maybe not in 1995. <laughs> fair, fair. I like was, I don't know. I was, Look, I this is a, not like I was but a babe. My knowledge begins and ends basically with Streetlight Manifesto. I don't know what that says about me, but there Getting we go. A thumbs Thank up, you, Kato. Kato. Thumbs up right there. Word. Uh, so yeah. Uh, so that's that's my knowledge of the space. Gosh. I don't know what. I don't know where the boss, the the mighty mighty boss tones uh, stood in the in this firmament of the ska scene. I just love that this is like what was considered the fucking coolest thing in the world. Like, can we just take one second to appreciate the one great thing about the '90s was that like grunge and ska and all these other things were like cool and what the cool kids did and it wasn't just this like dorky weird shit it wasn't like oh the bubble gum would come and then that would be the thing that would that would take over mm-hmm. in terms of popular music it just just one moment one moment here for my 90s my 90s love no yeah there's like a lot of like sort of like i don't know like I don't I don't know what the right word is it but like breaking of conventions here like the way like the the things that they like like this this you know the fact that they're all dancing to like ska music and and the fact that like all of their fashion is like sort of like breaking conventional norms like the girls aren't afraid to you know like to 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 wear what the whatever the fuck they want to wear yeah. and the guys are like doing all their grunge. doing their thing too <laughs> you know like and that's like yeah. that's like mainstream Cool, which is for 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 better for worse. Like I I think there is you know complications around sure. when subcultures become mainstream for sure, but uh to see it played in a movie as not a gag and and uh and also for it to like be re- respected in a way and yeah. like uh uh like not valorized but like revered in some yeah yeah totally totally it's like that's the cool thing it's like that's kind of cool um but yeah um yeah it's it's uh, it's such a weird uh time capsule (laughs) in some ways (laughs) of, of this culture and the fact that it's all happening sort of uh naive of the internet i suppose is is another interesting aspect of this that like you don't have this um, I don't know. It, it it feels more like a movie where there's you almost sense that there's a lot of disparate cultures uh, that are sort of having a moment alongside each other, and there's not necessarily a push toward like a a general monoculture. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know. That's not a fully developed thought. It's just it's it's something well, there, that it, I note. Yeah, sorry. I was Go I was just gonna jump in and say this is part of where my whole theory of this and Empire Records and uh, Hackers being like different views of a of a of a piece in certain ways of like this is this is what was cool in 1995 in a way that's that's sort of like what they're all looking at right but they're all about essentially characters who are finding their way in the world this is the maybe the goofiest and most heightened I see Hackers is like a very proto queer proto inner you know like proto activist proto queer kind of piece and empire records being more okay kind of just normal ass kids and this is like very very heightened rich kids kind of thing Mm -hmm. but it's all really around kind of the same general themes of like finding your way in the world with an amazing soundtrack and it's 1995 and it's this tiny slice of 
what it was like to be a kid in the 90s or mm-hmm. what it was like to grow up in this very Gen X, very affected, uh, very interesting musical time. Yeah. This is so you mentioned that and this is like I was sort of thinking about this for like a, a show a question for the end of the show, but I think it's good to tackle it now. Why did this movie and why does this movie, if it still does, resonate so much, right? Because like from my experience growing up, so I was like years behind where these kids were. Like the like I was uh, still pretty young compared to these characters. Nevertheless, um, this experience was a different world. Like a lot of there's a lot of media that's like this, but like this was not anything remotely reflective of my reality as a teenager in the nineties. Like the idea that kids would all have cars and like have this level of independence and access to resources was a complete fantasy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And for some reason though, um, there is also some, I, I always did feel like it was also getting at something essential about the way me and my me and a lot of my friends related to each other and related to different cliques in our school. Uh, and so it's a weird thing. Like I would say to you, like, no, Clueless wasn't remotely like reflective of what high school was like for me in the 90s. It wasn't remotely reflective of the like what people growing up in my area like knew to be like real life. At the same time, there is something it is getting at something essential. I think partially that does have to do with the very, very core thesis about selfishness and that every child is selfish to some degree and that becoming an adult means maybe, hopefully, in an ideal, you know, very like broad sense, becoming somewhat less selfish and somewhat more aware of the world, which this movie does go barreling in that direction and it is pretty rote and it is a little bit corny but that does also i mean that's also very much what uh another movie from this era but a couple of years later can't hardly wait was very much about that as well about like okay you're you're actually becoming very much aware when you're 17 18 i guess they're 16 in this movie but like older teen that's starting to drive i I guess at least you're becoming very aware of how much you're not a child anymore and you are actually going out into the world in some fashion whether that's college whether that's a working class you know or like a a a blue collar job or whatever that means and there's like a really famous scene in can't hardly wait where you know the cool football guy makes a like complete actual realization I forget who it is. It might be Jerry O'Connell who like gives him a beer and he's like, guys like us are a dime a dozen. And it's this very like, oh my God, he's having his realization of what his life might actually look like. And this movie does that. And and it does it in this very sort of cutesy way. It's very, you know, neon colors and, and fun fashion and all this other stuff. But that is what Cher's arc is. She does become less selfish at least in terms of the the you know baseline reading of the movie we could argue of course whether okay no she really is actually acting in her self-interest the whole time she is probably going to become a corporate lawyer like her dad and you know figure things out and and figure out how to manipulate people maybe that's what happens but i do think the sort of core thesis is that she has learned to love on some level and she has learned to not be selfish on some level and her genuine friendship with ty or at least the way that's sort of wrapped up feels like it's going towards that that she's like no i'm not just trying to use you i i love you as my friend and get with the skater boy get with birkenstock because that's good for you it makes you happy i saw those sparks um so that's my reading on it yeah i would definitely agree with that um you know i think it's it's definitely arguable that she's like constantly acting in her own self-interest um but to see to see her 
you know, have this like reconciliation with um with Ty and they're at like the the kids like skate um I one thing I'll say is I wasn't super a big fan of the fact that like Keith or Tra- I almost called him Keith. I don't know where I got Keith <laughs> Keith from. Birkenstock. Um uh Travis only becomes like acceptable after yeah. he gets sober. Um there's like a a bit where after Cher decides, like, after all of her friends have sort of abandoned her and she, like, feels like she has nothing left to live for, she uh, decides to take on this, like, Pismo Beach um, clean, uh, uh, fundraiser uh, head-on and, like, starts uh, organizing the campaign for, like, donations and stuff like that. And um, Travis shows up. I keep wanting to say Keith. Where am I getting Keith from? It's okay. Um, <laughs> uh, Travis shows up and like brings her his bong, his old bong, and is like, uh, "Yeah, I don't need this anymore. I'm like doing this, you know, program. There's like a bunch of steps." And he, he the first thing he does is make amends, which is like us a, a, a part of the twelve step process, um, in which you know you make amends to to uh people you've hurt in the past due to your um like from your addiction or whatever whatever the 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 context is here but uh so she kind of like picks up on it right away and she's like oh do you like is is this like a part of something he's like yeah i'm doing this like this multiple step process or something and she's like 12 and he's like yeah how'd you know 12 and she's just kind of like oh just a wild guess and so immediately it's clear that she that like keith has made some sort of which is like frustrating because i think there's a moment before when when ty like dismisses uh did i say keith again you did. Yeah, you oh did. my god! That's why we laughed. You're making like a serious point, but I kind of giggled. Breck and Meyer. Yeah. <laughs> okay. um, um, Travis and Ty have like Travis like approaches Ty while she's like at the it table and is sort of telling everybody about this near death experience that she had, in which she was like sitting on the ledge of the uh, of this uh, railing at the mall and like talking to these two boys and is like, "Oh, are you gonna catch me if I fall?" And then they start like, you know holding her over the ledge is a joke and then uh uh Christian intervenes and like yeah. saves her life right. and then she uh it becomes like this whole rumor at the school and and then and then Ty is the center of attention and you know Cher tries to butt in at one point is like you know when I had a gun held to my head and this guy's like uh shut up or something and like uh you were saying Ty and then and then Travis approaches and is like you know, uh, hey, Ty, like, trying to talk to her, and Ty just totally dismisses him and is, like, tells him to fuck off to the stoner hill. And uh, and Cher, like, looks at Travis, and, like, you can see how bad she feels. She, like, feels like she's created this monster and, like, feels for Travis because I think she she knows that Travis is, like, a genuine person, but she was just, like, too high and like, her... Her, like, her expectations or her, like, expectations of, like, who people should be with were just too high and mighty for, to, to to have them to be together. And she kind of realizes what a fucking, what a mistake she made um, because here's this, like, genuine person. And then, and then so flash forward to later in the film when 
Travis shows up to to the to the donation center yeah. with his bong and is like, "Yeah, I'm sober now." And then, you know, he gives her a a flyer for his skateboard competition that weekend and and share goes with Ty and like that's the point at which it becomes accept- acceptable. And like that I think is that was like I mean, I can't speak to like 90s drug culture um because I don't really have any uh, uh understandings of it, but um that was a real bummer because I I like you know for you know it's it's not clear that like Travis you know, is, is, has a problem or anything. It's like, it's like very much like, it's like a part of his characterization. It's like, he's like the kind of the, and then the movie pathologizes that. Mm -hmm. Right. And Mm -hmm. it is like, Oh no, like clearly this guy, this guy needed help. And now he's got a shit together and he's at a, a clean living skate for skate park and competition. Have you heard the good word? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh and then Ty and 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 Travis start to uh yeah. like start a relationship. Like it's it's at that at that skate park after all of this that like Cher kind of finally gives the final blessing for for this relationship. With her Starbucks coffee in hand. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um so that was kind of uh one of the things about the movie that I just felt like was not well done uh um yeah yeah it's the weird thread of like respectability politics yeah that run through this thing where even yeah. as the movie like and it juxtaposes so sharply with the other ways in which this movie is uh you know at least a little bit progressive uh-huh. uh and in general pretty self-aware mm-hmm. and reflective uh and here's a case where sort of uncritically it's buying to this idea that, you know, ah, like stoner kids, they need to, they need to get their, their shit together yeah. and, uh, you know, and, and toe the line. Um, yeah, no, that, that, Oh, sorry. No, go on. I was going to say, there are a few sins of this movie. Yeah. If we, if we may, there is a, it, I should put a warning here, just a content warning. There is an R word drop. In oh this yeah. Movie. That is real bad. There's like, a uh, if you haven't seen the movie yet, there's like a, a like joke suicide attempt yeah. at, in like the first like ten minutes or fifteen minutes of the film. So yeah, there's like there's great. a there's lot a of, of those things. There's a lot of yeah. things that are just like telling of the time. Yeah. Like where like they, they even make like a PC joke at one point. They're like, I think the PC term is like sexual, high mentally challenged high or mentally something, challenged something ridiculous when, when yeah. referring to like Cher being a virgin or something. And so, and yeah, so there's a lot of like, this is a film made in the 90s in which like there's yeah. some some definite grimy, grimy uh, gags yeah. being made. Yeah. Um, so heads up for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think before before that uh, sort of happy match for Ty, what sort of sets the, the finale of the movie in motion is uh, first... At this dance they go to, Ty is sort of abandoned on the side of the dance floor. Mm-hmm. And Josh, who is low-key stalking Cher at this point because yep. he's now jealous of uh, Christian. He's, he has followed her to this dance. But he shows it, up. Wasn't it his friend's party? Because doesn't she tell Christian yes. that it's her like ex stepbrother's friends are having a party, and then he's like at home doing like a deposition? Or he something? wasn't gonna go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is a lot. But yeah. anyway, um, but 
Ty, like, so Ty is abandoned. Josh, again, proving he is someone who is thoughtful of others, does the good guy thing, dances with her at the party. Then she and Josh hang out back at her place, and we start to get a little more of an impression of, like, why Josh is always hanging out there, which is that he doesn't have a great home life, like, that this is, to a degree, like, where he feels. This is where he has probably had the most semblance of an actual home life uh, due to his mom's uh, who we only hear as a voice over the phone, uh, her many divorces to uh, her many divorces and current marriage to a guy who doesn't like Josh very much. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's just him and Cher hanging out uh, watching TV. And it sort of the realization for Cher that sometimes it's just good to hang out with, you know, with, with somebody and just be with somebody. Bed out. And then, Ty has ended up falling in love with Josh, or so she thinks, and is convinced that, like, that this is a done deal, that Josh dancing with her and all this uh, was the clear sign that they are meant to be. She comes over to Cher's house to burn the memorabilia of her relationship that she never had Question with Elton. Mark? Yeah. <laughs> and... It's so good. God, Brittany Murphy uh, is such a good comic actress in this. The seriousness with which she opens this bedazzled shoebox full of two items. treasures. Yes, it's got two items two in it. Two items. What are they? Natalie, tell, tell the people. The towel. She's like, remember when I was, you know, sick at the party and <laughs> Sherry does not remember <laughs> and Sherry's like what party um and and she's like remember when I was sick at the party and and you know uh 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 what's his name Elton like took care of me well this is I never told you this but this is the towel that he used to like cool me down and I and I had it and she like throws it into this like gas fire <laughs> And then the other thing she pulls out is a, a rolling with the homies tape. And she's like, after, you know, the song that we danced to, she's like, what song? And and, and Brittany Murphy's like, Ty is like, the song that we danced to, you know, rolling with the homies. She has to sing it every time. And she's like, I listen to it every single night after that. And I was like, damn, girl, like you have some wild misconceptions about like what a relationship is. And a lot of them are like, presumably from share like a lot of them are like are are you know just hugely built up moments that were just moments but became like events larger than life yeah, yeah absolutely larger than life yeah. and and you know it's 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 wild and then she's like i'm ready you know for for i have a new man in my life i'm ready for like something more mature <laughs> and and Shara's like, who? And and she's like, you know, you gotta help me get with Josh. And <laughs> and she's like, get Josh what? <laughs> it was so good. That reading is so good. Yeah. And 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 yeah, and and then and then they have, you know, and then uh uh Ty tells her, you know, what do you know about anything? You're a virgin who can't drive. No. Uh uh because oh, because Cher has just come back <laughs> from her driver's test, which is probably like the most through pro- plot line of the whole movie is that yeah. is that she Cher is a terrible driver and has been trying to 
you know, learn how to drive for for to get her license and currently just has her permit and is driving all over Los Angeles with the permit. Also does get at something like I've always felt that there is a quality to a lot of people who have learned to drive in L.A. because you just have to drive in L.A. who just sort of. If you grew up in a place with like quieter streets and everything, like you just sort of you you sort of ramp up the difficulty level on driving. Mm-hmm. But there is a sort of being the leaf on the wind, throwing yourself into the void with oh, people yeah. who've grown up learning to drive in Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, that sh- that share brings across very very well yes, totally. with just sort of the acts of faith that she performs <laughs> as she just like whips her car around blind corners uh lane changes it's amazing it's very it's very uh, uh representative of LA drivers they're we i'm a good driver but they are the worst <laughs> I got you. um I but got you. but yeah so so Cher's just come back from her driving her driving lesson and she failed or driving test she failed, of course. Um, she nearly hit someone. She was driving in the middle of the road, and all this time she was like, she was like in this contemplative state where she was like thinking about. She's like, why am I so upset about Ty and Josh? Like, I should be happy for her. Like, what's wrong with me? Like, what's what's holding me back here? And meanwhile, she's like endangering her. Actually, her- no. She because this precedes her big confrontation with Ty. This is oh. the thing. This oh, this is shitty. This sucks. Oh no! What she's reflecting on is that Josh mildly reproved her. Yes, for being pretty fucking racist. Extremely uh, at a certain point. So right. she tells the housekeeper. Oh right, uh, Lucy, uh, that she doesn't speak Mexican, <sighs> and Lucy blows the fuck up. And uh, she's like, I'm Josh not Mexican. Like, yeah. And Josh is like, dude, she's from El Salvador. And and uh, and you know, shares, shares like, what's the difference? Yeah. And he says, you're such a brat. Yeah. Um, which. Also, I don't think it was just that you said she was Mexican. That was the only thing you did wrong in that whole. Like, oh, yeah. The entire yes. thing is so. Josh is showing like a little bit of awareness by like, hey. El Salvador is a different country. Mexican like, is not domestic- a language. Yep. Yeah, exactly. It's this like, no, sorry. Like you could have been like, he's basically saying like, you, you should have been like 50% less dismissive of uh, this domestic worker as a person. Like just cut it back by 50, just like 50% less uh, be specific about, you know, where you think she's from. Uh, and it's just, it's, it's, an ugly, it's another of those ugly moments yeah. in the story. But again, the 90s is also just an era where the, uh, you know, Hispanic domestic servant is just a constant figure of merriment and fun. Um, and also a constant and, figure in like L.A. Uh, uh, like. Yeah. Uh, rich, LA rich households LA households. Something. It's like there's always a, a Latina nanny. There are always Latino uh, uh, gardeners. Um, they are re- expected to have a, a relationship with each other. They're expected to do a lot of the communication. Be- be- one is expected to 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 translate for for the family itself. It's a fucking terrible trope based in reality, and it's super fucking racist. And yeah. and it's in here. Yeah. Um, 
And so yeah, so yeah, that's 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 actually what she's she's uh, yeah, that's what she's doing. She's over. doing over the fact that she not that she well, she's like a little bit upset that she upset Lucy so much. Um, but mostly, but she's mostly upset she's upset that Josh that, being yeah. upset upset her. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then and then she fails the driving test. She comes home. She's like you know, tells them that she failed. Uh, Ty's already there with Josh, and they're sort of like playing hang, hacky sack, playing hack. You know, classic. Classic flirting move, Reddit and Cosmo, play hacky sack with your intended beau. Um, <laughs> Reddit in Vogue. Reddit in Vogue. Uh, oh, Cosmo, sorry. Yeah, Cosmopolitan. Yeah, Cos- when a young lady presents a, a young man with a with, with a hacky sack, it's a sign. Truly. You know what the fuck interest. it is, bringing my hacky sack to- When a Roman throws you an apple and you catch it. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah so then then you know uh ty brings out the the fucking yeah. shoebox and they get in the argument <laughs> confrontation um yeah. and then they sort of like have this like breaking up and their resolution is at uh i don't clean mm, living skate park is that uh <laughs> yeah. travis's skate competition that's where they but it, it does set Cher off on this sort of dark night of the soul where she has the realization that she loves Josh. Yeah. And this is where so much happens in this movie, which is not that long. And so we have this sort of sudden redefinition of their relationship and her working through these feelings. At no point does it acknowledge that there's kind of a weird emotional terrain to navigate here like the nature of their relationship how do they view each other how do they know Um, each other (laughs) yes uh the question is is that (laughs) does this entire thing feel icky and incestuous and before well actually you know what let's let's turn that to you first okay uh where where do we come down on this like how like it's definitely not like it, it's definitely I think to some extent weird. The question is how weird is it? It's fucking weird. It's super fucking weird in my opinion. Like the fact that, you know, he is so he's not her father's biological son. Right. He is so th- they have no biological relationship or they share no biological relationship. Right. So they're strictly related by marriage or ex were related by marriage no longer um but it's gross like he has a bedroom in her house and like their first kiss is in is on the stairs of her of her house and then like and i just okay i put myself in the in the shoes of the father like <laughs> That's where that's where I feel like it's like how how could you like navigate that as someone who was a father figure to this young man who you were married to his mother and then you have your daughter it just it, there's no way I can like approach this from any perspective that I'm like this is not fucking gross, but it's just it's 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 weird. It's so weird. It's so weird. I can't believe it's not more weird. I cannot believe that this is even a fucking through line in this movie, and it it is an Emma too. 
It's it's no. the brother-in-law. Um, Isn't it? Yeah, but not... It, I can't remember the exact... Knightley is a family friend. That that much we okay. know. The weirder part in Emma is the age gap. Oh, okay. Uh, in the Paltrow version, they basically downplay that a great deal. Jeremy Northam was cast. Uh-huh. Uh, so he's a, very, a pretty young man yeah. opposite Emma. But I think, like... In that story, what's laid out is like Emma is like 17 or 19 and Knightley is like late 20s, you know, maybe early 30s. Yeah, well, fucking what's her name and Mr. Darcy. Not a great age. Well, right. That's that's the whole thing. Like this is like Jane Austen is writing about like how these matches are made in the set. This is pretty representative of a lot of relationships. Nevertheless, so what, what Clueless is trying to do is like up like how do you like. You don't have a Mr. Knightley in your in your world to an extent. A family in, friend? In a family friend connected to the parent that would be an eligible match for the daughter. Uh a work a work friend. Like what, what if, if what lawyers. if it was yeah, what if it what if he was on uh what if he had what if it was uh Horowitz and Smith or whatever <laughs> and Smith's son? I think this is weirder. Is that's well, weirder? Okay, maybe Smith's son. So that, yeah, no, no. I thought you were saying Horowitz oh, and Smith. No, and it no, was like, no, no. Yeah, it should have been the law partner. No, no, no. It yeah. should have been Mel's partner. <laughs> Mel's no, 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 no. What if it was, yeah, what if it was like the law partner's son and they were all working on the deposition together and, you know, he's a young, still grimy college student should not date high school students, IMO, very grimy. Um, but maybe that like that's maybe i'm not trying to say it's slightly less gross but it's it's not borderline incestuous danielle i'm I'm just trying to take the emma the emma formula that i'm being given no i get it i'm trying i'm trying here i'm not it's not great i I understand so for me as someone who has had partners has current partners there's more than 10 years of age gap I don't it's it's not just gap for me it's the under 18 aspect for me that yeah, creeps that's what me I meant out specifically the most. college and high school students yes, like, like once you hit 18 god bless do whatever you got to do I would give it a couple more years I mean I'm just saying in terms of like just in terms of like feeling I think context matters a great deal in all relationships I agree context I, I agree that context matters to all relationships it's more of an ickiness thing like it's more of like okay, once you're a grown ass person, it, the the ickiness is is reduced. It, it, can there be gaps that are that creep me out? Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying in this context, in this specifically for this movie, the being under eighteen thing, the being under sixteen thing, really, even in the UK, this is not all right. Yeah, this like, is like this relationship is not all right, even even with like somewhat relaxed standards in terms of of the age of consent itself. Yeah. That's it's- that's what really like fifteen is like. Oh, God, even if he's only 19, it's just 15, 15, that's so young. Yeah, no, 15, 19 that's, is, like, huge socially. Mm, like, it's not, yeah. it's, there, there's there's a golf there. 25, How, like, 35, fine. Just just saying, uh, just putting that out there. But, never, but yeah. <laughs> just, all right, I'm just kidding. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry, everybody. Uh, but the other Let's part. Let's say she's like, a, she's, like, a junior in high school. Right. Less than freshman. Less than, I think she's a sophomore. Or sophomore, sophomore. No, she's not a freshman. She's not 16 yet. I turned 16 my sophomore year of high school. Yeah, same. 
I'm not certain that that's her. Uh, anyway, maybe she's 16 in April. She's young for her grade. Maybe she argued her way and skipped a year. They establish her age. She is not 16. Yeah, she they establish they establish that she's going to be 16 in April, and therefore she asked she like specifically asked Ty like when's your birthday and she's like May and she's like well I'm gonna be 16 in April so that makes me older than you yeah she's 15 going on Uh, 16 mm -hmm. she okay so that's what really gets me yeah clueless.fandom.com yeah sure please please give us the lore age of 16 at the end of the movie just FYI so at the end of Oh yeah, because they because they because because time passes. Time passes. We see yes, Christmas happens. Christmas happened. Uh, it could be April. She could be sixteen. The there's well, it's a spring, marriage. It's definitely a spring wedding yeah. at the end. Yes. but who fucking cares? Sixteen yeah. and nineteen, gross as well. I, I I have to. So the the metric I actually apply. It's not just the mm-hmm. eighteen thing. That mm-hmm. that's just for this context. I feel like this is the most incriminating fucking podcast. I've the ever metric. Heard. The metric that I apply is how bad would this Lay be it on me. Uh, if they break up? Like, what do you have to deal with once people break up? So that's like, that applies to situations like coworkers or roommates or any other sort of situation, social construct situation where things would be extremely fucking terrible if you break up. For me, I'm thinking going to a family reunion after breaking up with somebody, that feels a little awkward. Yeah, but presumably he has no further relation to to her dad like because their yeah. their parents broke up i guess that's true and and just FYI, her dad by the way it is clear is totally cool with this he loves it because when paul rudd's character gets jealous and is like i'm gonna go i'm gonna go check this out i'm gonna go keep an eye on her her dad like gives this sort of knowing smirk it's <laughs> like i'm sure you are son Gross. my boy my boy <laughs> all, no it's so it's so it's not great Kato. What? Where's just we need to know where Kato is on this. This yeah. Issue. What do you think? Is it gross or not gross? It's gross. It's gross <laughs> from Kato. But also, technically not. But technically not. <laughs> I disagree. Right on. <laughs> All right. So there's a scientific. Right. We're gonna go to science here. Science. Which is a BuzzFeed quiz. Good. About this very issue. Good. I'm glad. Who was it made by? I don't know. Okay. I hope not. I should give credit, but who knows? Like, they yes. could suck, yeah. Anyway, okay. there's a BuzzFeed quiz on this very issue. I'm sure we can find it. Mm-hmm. However, what I've got are the screenshotted results. Okay. Which are 63% of voters agree, yes, it was weird. It's kind of incestuous. Mm-hmm. 23% say, it's kind of weird, but doesn't matter because it's Paul Rudd. Wow. 14% say, no, it's not weird. They are not related at all. Mm. So 63% is a pretty commanding majority. Yeah, uh, I would say I, so. I, I must say. Especially if there's two other options. Yeah. It's not like a 6347. Yeah. Nope. I feel like I feel like everybody who actually voted and they're not related at all is actually in the it's Paul Rudd category. I feel like that's really what they were saying. Well, right. No, like you cast basically you cast anybody but Paul Rudd for this. How does this read? Uh, Well, depends. Just kidding. It doesn't depend because I stick my fucking I'm sticking to my convictions and say it's fucking gross. I don't care if it was Heath Ledger in his prime. 
Ten Things I Hate About You, another classic uh, of yeah. literature adapted into a 90s teen movie. True. May have actually been the year 2000, maybe like 99, 2000, somewhere around there. I love Julia Stiles. Yeah, if it was Justin Long, it would file charges filed by the end of this movie. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, see, like, so I don't oh. know. Either way, it is an awkward, so it's an awkward denouement, and they don't, they have not set it up particularly they well. Never... What's interesting is I was reading that like some studios this movie was taken to also found this to be a weird fucking ending. And this was like one of the hills that Amy Hackerling was going to die. Oh, on. wow. Boy. Oh, this uh, was that like. Oh. This is good. No, I'm sorry. This is the script I wrote. This is the movie she's getting with Josh at the end of this movie. Um, and so she's allowed to make the picture her way, and here we here we have it. Did Amy um, have like a particular? I just wonder if there was like somebody in Amy's life where they had like a, a unconventional love situation, and she was like ride or die for that friend or self. I don't know, perhaps. But I think it's very telling that this is like meant. I don't know. At the end of the at the end of the film, you know they're oh man, <laughs> oh lord. Lest we not forget, Lord in at heaven. the end of the film uh, is is the dear Miss Geis and dear Mr. Gall's wedding uh, shared. Mr. Gall. What did I say? <laughs> From Destiny. Gall. Miss Geis marries Gall. At the end I kind of love that, actually. I love that. Mr. Hall. <laughs> um, they, they, they have their wedding. Cher, Dion, our bridesmaids. And there's the throwing of the bouquet. And sure there's is. like there's like everyone sitting at, at a table together and it's like all the girls and all their boyfriends. It's uh fucking Cher, Dion, and and Ty and I fucking Travis. Yep. Not Keith. Travis. <laughs> put it in my head, please. Okay. <laughs> Travis. Josh and and Murray are all sitting together and you know the girls are like talking about their dream weddings and the guys are like oh no not yet oh. and then they're like oh it's time to throw the bouquet and Paul fucking Josh like comes up real it's so gross when yep. I see them like come up close to each other I'm like ew it's just disgusting dude but he like comes up close and he's like Yo, baby, like I got two hundred dollars on this. You better fucking catch that bouquet. Oh. And she catches it, and it's like, all right. If we're thinking about like the symbolic nature of catching the bouquet, and it's like yep. gross, whatever mm -hmm. tradition. That means Cher and fucking Josh are gonna get married. Cher catches the bouquet and is like, "Got it, babe." Like. Mm, it's like at best about to start her senior year of high school like at best it's so fucking weird like this is oh god i just i it, it like it like sours the whole it sours everything but the fashion for me honestly <laughs> the only thing i can cling to is is the fashion here but it like it really just is such a strange ending it like leaves such it yeah. just leaves me on such a weird place and like i don't know well and like we also just i was surprised rewatching this the degree to which the good qualities of josh are basically left to the imagination mm -hmm. like there isn't at no point do we actually see him being all that 
virtuous or great a person. What we see is like some minimal viable, like dude qualities from him. Um, and that's supposed to be like, yeah, that's a fucking catch. Sold on that idea. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to go ahead and and that's another element of romantic comedies from this era. Right. Is, Is that a lot of times what makes the romantic, Lee, the, the 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 romantic hero of these stories, the hero, is simply that they are not actively a fucking creep. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and here that movie even toes that line, but but nevertheless, like we don't know too much about Josh except what their relationship is and that he goes to college, and we're supposed to be like we're supposed to build an awful lot on the few scenes we've seen of them together. It's like it's like the reason why we should be supportive of this relationship is because Josh doesn't actually see Cher for the the ditzy, you know, uh, 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 shopping, loving Beverly Hills, what Barbie that that everyone else supposedly sees her as, and that he sees, you know, something genuine in her, and that's like barely articulated, barely, and he only sees that in her two-thirds through the movie. Yeah. Until then, he absolutely sees her the same exact way. So it's not as if he is, like, actually, you know, spent any time with her. They had an established relationship, clearly, from the beginning of the movie. There's there's years of an established relationship there. So he spends years thinking she sucks. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, something gets him going Mm. a little bit. And it's because she knew a Hamlet quote. And then... I don't... I I never get the sense though that he thinks she sucks. Like that is like, I will say that. I think there like, it's like a a sibling annoying sort of thing. It's like it's like the annoying younger sibling and he's like uh I am a refined college man now <laughs> and you are but a when he's fucking working on the goatee and reading Nietzsche. It's oh. such a mood. It's, it's so, so good. good. Uh, the complaint rock really is yeah the the finest touch yeah the finest touch it's so much but um but yeah so so that's a that's the thing is like there's not there's not a lot here for us to be like where where is this like relationship like let's ignore the sibling thing for a second okay yeah where is this like that what warrants this relationship like what makes us like cheer this thing on and it's it's like so it's like the bare fucking minimum of what you said before rob of like not being slight not being as much of a creep as the (laughs) other creep elton and then like kind of stick it's sticking up for her to the fucking asshole other lawyer who like tells her that she's uh, a fuck up and fucked up all the who's introduced to that one scene yeah. right it's this guy we've never seen before he's got to be mean to her yeah it's his function yeah as she's yeah. like help like as she's like a call like a, a a kid helping out with or you know uh helping out with like her dad's like huge legal case like I don't know whatever that just seems a little bit outlandish to me uh but 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 he like sticks up for her and that's like the catalyst for for she's like you think <laughs> mm. it's not even like you think i'm intelligent their conversation in like preceding the first kiss is not even like you see me for who i really am she's like you think i'm beautiful and he's like 
yeah, I think you're beautiful. And, you know, I've just been wanting to spend more time here because I like it here. And she's like, you already said that. And then they kiss. And it's like, there's, there's like, we're given like no substance for, for to, to, to support this relationship, ignoring the fact that they're legally, ex legally, perhaps, or were once legally siblings. Mm So yeah, that's and that's 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 where this movie falls apart for me is really I'm mean, like as well as all of the 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 grimy like '90s shitty gags and and there's a lot of you know missteps here contextually um in uh that are like contextually related but to to really. This is like I think like the the sort of the place where it just it becomes like kind of incon inconceivable. Oh, well, it's Sean Paul. Did I get that right? He did. She's, you know, Natalie just always there with those Wallace Sean Pauls. <laughs> it's the guy from the haunted mansion. Yeah, he's the ghost. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. I mean. I think I do tend to come down on the issue of like, eh, it's it's an issue with this movie. It's still the ending still mostly works for me. Like it like like a lot of romantic comedies, if you really stop and think about it, it doesn't work yeah. as well as it tries to. It's fudging a lot of important details. Mm-hmm. Uh it doesn't sour me on the movie. Uh rather for me it just always feels like um it's something the movie the movie is too crowded and too busy with other stuff to develop this idea in any sort of like healthy way, and it ends up with a finale that well that that's the, maybe this is the other issue. What has she re- like? How has she changed over the course of this of this film? Mm-hmm. Right, like mm-hmm. if we have seen the 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 thing that begins to go wrong is she she is perhaps like feeling her power a bit too much, and she's starting to misuse it a, a little bit. Um, what, like how has she changed by the end? I think the the movie's basically arguing she doesn't need to. Uh, she like the the a modicum of self awareness is is pretty much the journey she's on, and that she develops toward toward the end about some things. Mm-hmm. But I this is one of the other issues here is that it's such a light movie mm. uh, that sort of the necessary character development to create a an idea of like a happily ever after for like who these characters are going to become. Mm -hmm. We don't really get that. Yeah. We don't really see future share in all of her benevolence. (laughs) We don't really get that. She just becomes the character in legally blonde. You know, that kind of not a bad. That's that. I, I could see that fanfic. I really hills fashion. you know, fashion. Legally Blonde is kind of, like right now, now, that you, now that you put it that way. Like shit. Like Legally Blonde basically is like. What if that whole scene where the lawyer dude is an asshole to her? What if we just made a movie where she proves him yep. wrong? Yeah. Legally Blonde. Like the same is, character. I haven't watched it in a while, but I would be curious to do a rewatch because I think it might be. Yeah. Same. I think it might be actually good. I, I genuinely have <laughs> a little bit of a headcanon that that's kind of <laughs> what happened to Cher. Um. Um, yeah, and that's not a bad yeah, thing. Maybe that's a, maybe that's a pretty I, I, happy continuation. Like yeah. that's a pretty good life. I mean, it, and I think Cher is likable enough 
to kind of pull that off. I think that yeah. the way Cher is presented is that she is actually, other than some, you know, shitty things that she obviously says and some shitty things that she does, but is actually a fundamentally decent and caring person. She actually does have empathy, which is what happens to, what is her name, L in? L. It L is Woods. L. Yes, L Woods. Uh, you know, v- comes from money, comes from Beverly Hills, very smart, mm-hmm. wants to go to law school, mm-hmm. does really well, mm-hmm. has a heart, has a heart of gold. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it. I'm just saying. I can see it. Yeah. For sure. So I think um, basically, like, for all the, you know, bones I've still got to pick with this movie, I still found it basically charming. Uh, it still basically holds up. Also, I'm bas- I'm always here to retreat into the warm cocoon of 90s prosperity and triviality. <sighs> and I think that might be still be the most appealing thing here mm-hmm. in, in this film, in addition mm-hmm. to uh, just the overall like charm of the characters and the writing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think this this held up a, like both better and worse than I was expecting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We should maybe say why we watched this. Oh. Uh. We had a motive here. I yeah, feel like this so is a very motive film for us to watch. <laughs> and like, if you've made it this far and you're like, wait, why the fuck have you, did you guys watch Clueless? Which, Event Horizon Sunshine Clueless. It's a clear through line there. <laughs> but Rob, would you please enlighten our, our listeners? No, so- so, I mean, one of the ideas we're kicking around before we started doing Be Good and Rewatch It is, like, what, what other thing could we hit uh, that, like, might be cool? Uh, one of the ideas tossed in there, albeit by me, <laughs> was uh, the BBC adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. Not the Keira Knightley, uh, Matthew McF- uh, McFadden. McFadden uh, My God, personal fave. Mc, McFadden. Yeah. Cotto is, in, uh, is in support as well. Of, of what? Of, of that the wrong Knight- answer? What? Uh, excuse me? The cinematography? I mean, it's it's a good version. It's Don't a get me stunningly... wrong. Joe Wright is an amazing filmmaker. <laughs> All right. The BBC version is definitive, though. We shall see. We shall see. Oh, uh, so yes. Anyway, <laughs> so we're going to sort of, Yeah. So it seemed like a good way to introduce some of these themes, like what did a contemporary... Uh, comedy of class manners, uh, how did it approach uh, the, these topics based on an Austin uh, mm-hmm. novel? And now we're going to look at another artifact of the 90s and wildly influential in its own right, the BBC adaptation starring Jennifer L. and Colin Firth of Pride and Prejudice. L. Woods, uh, Jennifer L. Woods, yes. I say yeah. we go just down this rabbit hole. I say we go 10 Things I Hate About You next. I say, <laughs> oh, uh, she's the man. Oh, oh, is it? Is oh, it, is another one. Yeah. Um, an interesting one, certainly. I don't know other ones. What else? Cruel There's intentions. Cruel. Is that a is it's based an awful movie? But it's based French on a novel. Dangerous right? liaisons. Yes. Oh wow. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah, we should just go down this rabbit hole. IMO. And we can go down the other rabbit <laughs> hole as well and watch also hackers and. Um, what were the other ones that I mentioned here? Oh, Hackers uh, is the best one. Empire Records yeah. and uh, Can't Hardly Wait and uh, Daria, the entire Ooh, series. Ooh, yeah. Uh, Daria. I've, I've heard that it's hard to 
rewatched Daria though because so much of the music has been replaced. That part is very hard. Yes. Um, very hard. Because That's like awful. of the licensing, I know, it was such they, a like, huge part of it. Yeah. They, this is why you can't go back and rewatch. Like it's like Alias had a few great seasons of television. Oh hands yeah, down. absolutely did. Also, that entire thing was cut together to work with its original soundtrack. Yeah. The streaming versions, at least, do not have that soundtrack. Oh, and it's certain so scenes rough. fucking yeah. suck now. That's yeah. so uh, I think I have oh, a I box it. set. La, 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 la. We'll talk from, after. From, well, Beavis from and Butthead did ago. show up in, in Clueless, which I appreciated. That was nice. Nice little pull. <laughs> I've never I've never watched Beavis and Butthead. It's okay. You know, I I mean it's okay it's not to fine. watch it, I think. Okay. Daria okay was the best thing that came out of that, I think. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. Yes. Um so Pride and Prejudice yeah. next. So, anyway, yeah. yeah, this rabbit. We'll hole. do at least a couple episodes because <laughs> it's it's a six hour series, I think. We're, we'll do at least a couple episodes on the uh BBC Pride and Prejudice. And look, at some point if we want to have that like deathmatch between like the other version of Pride and Prejudice. Uh, the other with the iconic death match uh, declaration Darcy. in the pouring rain. Like I will say that scene is very well done. I love you uh, most ardently. It's so much. Oh it's wow. So much. Swoon. Okay. We should do our I've, recreation. I've of seen this scene. Pride and Prejudice, the Kira Knightley version, maybe over a hundred times. Holy wow. My it's like my mom and I's fave movie. I used to fall asleep to it. It was like my number I have it. On like every, I have like four DVDs of it, and like have it a on iTunes for some reason. <laughs> uh, so I'm I love that movie. I don't know why. It's right. just it has completely enraptured me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> this got away from uh, Rob. I think, she, will... I think she she succumbed to astonishment, Rob. I don't know. Oh but... yeah, yeah. That's I'm that's all the way in, baby. <laughs> well, uh, that will do it for be good and rewatch it. Our thanks to Two Mellow uh, for our theme music. You can find that find that at twomellowmakes.bandcamp.com and follow him at mellowmakes on Twitter. You can keep up with all of us at waypoint.vice.com. Uh, we're on Twitter at waypoint and we're on Facebook at waypointvice. And at YouTube at Waypoint Vice, uh, you can also, if you if you are so inclined, feel free to rate and review us on the podcast platform of your choice, if they allow such a thing. Uh, I think we are good, and we are worth listening to and watching movies with. Maybe, maybe you know, most most films are four stars, but I think we're five star podcasts. That's just me, though. I'm just I'm just a wild man for be good and rewatch it. You can love us ardently. I think that's you fair. can most ardently. <laughs> most ardently. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, you can follow me. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Rob Zachney. Uh, Danielle, where can people follow you? You can find me incriminating myself all the time at Danielle Ri on Twitter. Natalie. At Natalie Watson. And you can follow Cotto at A underscore Cotto underscore appears on Twitter. Wow, nice job. Yeah, fucking nailed it. But it was rehearsing <laughs> it. that for, for days. Nailed it. Uh, really. <laughs> Good. Uh, but yeah, so we will, we will, the next time we do begin to watch it, we will be diving into the BBC Pride and Prejudice. Uh, and of course, uh, you can also listen to our, on our other feed, uh, Waypoint Radio, where this week uh, we've been talking about um, 
the on waypoints we've been talking about the Foxconn plant in Wisconsin and a fascinating story about the collision of a U.S. Navy destroyer uh, in the Pacific. And on uh, we'll be back with a regular episode of Waypoint Radio on Friday. So please do give those a listen as well uh, if you don't already. Uh, hope you'll join us for all of that. Uh, but until the next waypoints. Uh, Gosh, I'm trying. I'm blanking now because all I can all I can think of is ardently, pe- ardently. Uh, what's the line now? Be the Baldwin you want to see in the world. I love no. you most, most ardently. ardently. I think that's a tweaked version of what the line what the line in the BBC version is. Anyway, we'll okay we'll get into it later. Okay. it's a whole thing. <laughs> sure, we will. Good. Goodbye. (laughs) Good day. Good day to you, sir. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Good, goodbye. <laughs> Good day. Good day to you, we'll sir. We'll get into it later. It's a whole thing. Should be the whole tagline for all of this. All of our nonsense. All of it. Very true. Nice. Pot. Mr. Darcy, first ballot, all time goat of negging. Oh, <laughs> honestly, so, for real, Darcy. Your family fucking sucks. I cannot stand them. I, I actively... hate that you make me feel this way. Marry me. I am actively going against everything I should be doing. I'm below my class in even speaking to you. Okay, so here's the thing. Here's why, here's why this scene is fucking better in the BBC version. In oh. the BBC version, she legitimately is like, this is fucked. Get out. What are you all about? So is in Kira. The, yeah. Oh, no, dude. That, the, the fucking tension in that scene is like, are they going to make out? Like, that scene is fucked. That's just... Because there's... That's just the, mm, that's just... <laughs> wow. The, 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 the underlying tension... But she yes, it is. But she, but she says no. Yeah, she's like you. She, she's like but, you have insulted me and my family. How you could ever think that I would even look upon you is disgusting. That's not what she says, but it's very similar to that. And she's like, <laughs> "Fuck off!" And then fuck off. This is not. It, look, if if she said that, that scene would work better. Jennifer L basically does say "fuck off." And like dismisses him and is like, "This is pretty fucking out there, man." Burning some we pod. are burning some pot. Burning some pot here. Well, I'm recording. <laughs> Good. Yeah, just keep this for the for the Pride and Prejudice <laughs> yeah. pod. Honestly, yeah. prequel. Yeah. I'm gonna rewatch the PMP this weekend. How does one find? Yeah. Is it on a streaming service? It was. I think on, it's on Amazon right now. Okay. Perfect. Yeah, it was. It's definitely on Amazon. I have a DVD if someone needs to borrow a DVD. A DVD. Mine are all in Los Angeles, but I have it on iTunes. You've got mine on Blu-ray. <laughs> nice. Wow. So happy. Okay. So this is the '90s version, not the Kira Knightley version. We're watching the '90s version, the BBC version of Pride and Prejudice. Okay, I will watch it. Maybe yep. tomorrow, even. I'm just not gonna yep. watch it and watch the Kira Knightley version. <laughs> you can't do that. That's not what we're doing. You can't. Just... That's amazing. Hey, everyone. So wasn't Kira so rad when she was like, 
fuck you, Mr. Darcy. And she was like, <laughs> Fuck you, Mr. Darcy. No, that's fuck not. Fuck you, Mr. Darcy. <laughs> fuck you, Mr. Darcy. Fuck you, Darcy. I'm so tired. Fuck you, Mr. Darcy. That's the episode title for part one. Oh, 100%. Fuck you, Mr. Darcy. 100%. When she's like, when she's like, in 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 the in the in the dance hall, and she's like, uh, you know, he's like, I couldn't be seen dancing with her. She's beneath me. Uh, she's not so handsome. And uh, she's like, you know, I not handsome enough to tempt me. Yeah, and she's like, oh. she's like, <laughs> oh my god. Okay, I'm gonna rewatch it and then quote the whole movie back. That sounds at you. good. Yes, that sounds fantastic. Aha. Okay. Good I, day. Sarah. Netherfield is let it let it <laughs> Netherfield is let, let it last, last y'all. <laughs> that's a really good that's also a great, good title. great title. Good title. Netherfield right. is let it last. All right. I'm gonna upload this beast of a pod. Bye. Love, pod. Your, love your love your stepbrother. Don't love your <laughs> stepbrother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't Agreed. fuck you, Mr. Joshi. Yeah. Okay. Sean, Con- Sean Connery's Pride and Prejudice. Fuck you, Mr. Darcy. Fuck you, Mr. Darcy. Great. Bye. Excellent. Right. Bye. Bye.